Hello and welcome to uh, Critical Line Item. My name is Tom Rablick and thank you for joining me for the podcast. Again, it's been an interesting period of time and uh, thank you to all who've been uh, listening in to the various podcasts that I've been having on uh, on Acast and across iHeartRadio, Spotify, iTunes and a range of other, other platforms. If you can't find it, or you're stuck with ACAST for some reason, uh, you can find the podcast in multiple places. So thank you for, for listening. Today's uh, look at tax law, um, which now weekly dance through the tax, tax daffodil patch, is a topic that will cause some degree of controversy because... From time to time, the ATO tells people there are a bunch of companies that pay no tax. Now, that report is next to useless. In fact, the report, to be quite frank, tells us very, very little of substance. I'd almost say that report is crap. Now, in order to explain to you why I think that, I've got our regular tax guru, tax advisor, tax trainer, Lisa Gregg, to take us through it. Because Lisa's looked at a range of tax issues over the years. This is one of them. Lisa, thank you for joining me again. Thank you so much, Tom. I'm tiptoeing through the tulips with you, I think, today. Okay, tiptoeing through the tulips. Well, you mentioned daffodils. I mentioned daffodils, and anyone under the age of 35 needs to go and Google Tiny Tim, Mm -hmm. not now, but after they've listened to the podcast. (laughs) And his ukulele, Tom, and his ukulele. Yes, well, uh, that that is an instrument people have gotten used to because of Sam Neill's little Mm. soirees on Twitter. uh, Absolutely. So there you go. Now, if we go into... This discussion looking at the issue of what makes up zero. Mm-hmm. Um, zero. Zero in accounting terms is not a number that means nothing, is it? No, there's always information, as we know. Um, one number has got an aggregation of negatives and positives, debits and credits, whatever word you want to use into it. And, um, yes, sometimes zero is meaningful, sometimes it's not. Sometimes negative numbers are meaningful as well. That's true. But when we come to looking at entities that report zero tax, mm-hmm. uh, the issue of a company not reporting tax um, taxable income becomes rather controversial, particularly amongst those who believe that companies pay uh, too little tax or don't pay tax that they owe or engineer things in such a way that they pay nothing for a while. Now, we go back to the first question I asked you. How? What are the ways in which a company ends up with a situation where they pay zero tax? Well, it's one of those things. First of all, we're talking about taxable income. And tax law is complex and we've got our own little vocabulary, as you and I well know, and it all gets very confusing. I think any specialty has their own acronyms and vocabulary. And people are probably pretty comfortable with accounting, 
and we basically say, you know, we've got accounting profit and people think, well, that's profit. That's sort of like, you know, what I get in versus what I give out and it's a profit. Taxable income makes it sound like it's income, Tom, like just income. But as we know, you know, there's two components to that. It's called assessable income minus allowable deductions, as we call it, makes taxable income. So really, firstly, taxable income is your taxable profit to begin with, right? So it's not like we always get taxed on our taxable income, which is around, just let's call it tax profit. And what it is, is if your assessable income is less than your allowable deductions, if we want to call it that way, you'll make a loss. Now, a company is a taxpayer. It's a separate legal entity. It's a separate taxpayer. It's got its own tax file number. It's got its own ABN, Australian business number. It's paying GST and all those sort of things. If that entity makes a loss in a year, so a negative taxable income, if I can call it that, or a negative profit, so a loss, they can carry, providing there's some integrity measures around it, they can carry that loss forward. So when we see a report coming out of the ATO or whatever saying X number of companies made paid no tax, which means they're paying no tax, they have no taxable income, it's basically saying that maybe that company made a loss for the year, or secondly, it made a profit for this year, a tax profit for the year, and it's used previous year's losses to um, offset that taxable income. And we can do that as individual taxpayers. It's just the way that it works. We just carry forward um, losses because we can't get them out. So they just get trapped in the taxpaying entity being the company. Okay, this will get some people thinking about losses trapped in cages in the bowels of a company mm-hmm. instead of accounts and mm-hmm. zero packages or whatever else. Mm-hmm. So zero is made up of different things. So zero isn't a number that says that you can look at cleanly and say um, that's made up of nothing. Mm, correct. Right? It's sort of like a haggis. Yeah. Yeah. It's got different, haggis has got different components. As Sir David Tweedy said, you probably wouldn't want to know what's in there. But uh, it's made up of different components. Well, that's the issue, isn't it, Tom? See, we don't know what's in there because all the ATO do is aggregate the number. So we don't know what's in there. Now, you can be pretty clever and if they're an ASX listed company, and as you well know, they publish annual reports and you can sort of work out how it all gets there. You can sort of reconstruct what their tax return may look like. But in effect, it's just reporting a number which has got a lot of hidden meaning in it. And I think that's where you're coming from with the question. Yeah, because what you have uh, is then the media popping up and saying, X number of companies paid no tax. This is a major disaster. But I look at it and the first question I ask myself is, um, why is this a disaster? The law works a particular way. The stats are meaningless to me unless you tell me the company has got X number of thousands or millions in losses or this, that and the other then I know how they got to zero. Exactly. And the other Because I can't I don't know what policy measure when I'm reading that Correct. stuff. Yeah. Uh, to to take 
in order to get a, get a company to pay more tax when they're effectively complying with the law. And that's exactly right, Tom, because there's a lot of incentives that encourage um, investment in a company, if I can call it that, and therefore there's a good chance that that company's going to make a loss in that year. So have a think about this. You know, we've got this R&D tax offset. So we've got something in our tax law that says you can get a bigger deduction if you invest in R&D, right? And so if that happens, well, guess what? You'll be making more losses. And then let's talk about something that's that's topical at the moment, this instant asset write-off. As we know, every motor vehicle and truck company are tax advisors at the moment because they're advertising, oh, buy this huge truck, da-da-da-da, car, and get um, you might be eligible for the instant asset write-off. See, so we're saying buy an asset and you can write off up to $150,000 of it. So what we're doing there is we're bringing forward the tax deduction. So, you know, where you would normally maybe depreciate that asset over a period of time, there's an incentive to spur on the economy to go, well, okay, let's take this, this deduction immediately this year, which means especially for smaller businesses, they won't be making a loss this year because they've taken a big deduction. And remember, this is up to companies, uh, what, $50, $50 million turnover companies too, right? So this is where that zero number, there's a lot embedded in there. And as I said, there's at least, you know, two incentives that I can think of straight off the top of my head that listeners would understand. You know, the R and encouraging R&D, good thing, encouraging stimulating the economy by the instant asset write-off that will cause companies to make a bigger loss in the current year than what they would normally do. There's also a business reality, isn't there, Lisa, that um, companies that start out aren't going to, uh, may not make a profit mm. in the first year mm. that they kick off. Uh, there will be expenses they put in, there will be some income they get, but they're not going to make a lot of money when they first start. Um, and that's a business reality. But if you then look at larger companies that have been around for a while, but they still have, you know, tax, yeah, taxable income effectively of zero, so but no tax paid, um, you start to think, well, if you're the punter that doesn't quite get the tax system, how does this happen? Big company, lots of people. Um, multiple locations around the world, uh, they're not paying tax on, on uh, for this period or the last period or whatever. I'm sitting there as a POIG taxpayer. Uh, I'm paying tax. This isn't fair. Hmm. Uh, how do we explain that effectively to people out there? I mean, we know it... We know from what we've said up to this point that zero is a number that's got different components. The trouble is, um, Joe Average looks at the transparency data and says, this is completely ridiculous. All these companies haven't paid tax, but I'm, I'm a POIG taxpayer. Now, how do we get that... Um, how do we kind of explain that better to people? Well, 
it's sort of, to me, it's sort of risk and reward is the way I look at it. It's not even a, a, a tax equation. It's like, do you want to, you know, back yourself to generate your own income or do you want to be a salary person sort of thing? That's how I think about it. And, you know, you think about a company, say, like Qantas, they had a huge restructure a little while ago and they generated losses and then all of a sudden they have a good year and everyone can see they're having a good year and then all of a sudden the report will come out oh Qantas isn't paying any tax and you go yeah but they had a huge restructure you know to to prepare themselves to be you know get through something like COVID in terms of their 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 um a crisis management plan for example right and and so you know they'll they'll be able to get through okay maybe they might be maybe getting some some subsidies and things like that but you know it's 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 preparing the business for the future and they're taking on the risk of employing the salary people as well so it's i th- i think it's a risk and reward sort of calculation in 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 my scheme of things you know do you do you back yourself and work for yourself or are you happy to you know work 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 for the boss it's the way the way that it you know it comes out but it's also i think more than that tom because i explain to small business owners when they pay tax and things like that and you know it's they pay tax pretty much in arrears if you want to call it that most of the time where you know someone on a salary you've got this pay as you go that comes out of your salary every week right or every time you get paid so it's just a a new pay as you go along that's why it's called pay as you go makes sense they actually got one right this time in terms of the 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 ato's marketing and branding of 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 a uh of of a attribute so it's to me it's one of those things where you go well okay everyone sort of ends up paying the right amount of tax we hope because that's what the tax system's designed to do Yeah, but it there still needs to be a kind of a community education out there because every time the ATO's report comes out, which I'm quite happy to say is absolute crap because you don't know everything, you don't get everything, you get some statistics that can be that 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 effectively leave gaps and people fill in with their own assumptions. Yeah, um, which is dangerous. So the usefulness of that data is a bit like um, grabbing a little, grabbing one of those little uh, pen lights and shining the pen light down a hallway or in a room. And yes, you can kind of make things out, but it doesn't illuminate everything. So your imagination sort of tries to fill in the other gaps. And that, I think, is what happens with this ATO tax transparency report because it, it, it doesn't quite work for someone like me. But then again, yeah, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm right, but it just doesn't work, doesn't work in terms of properly explaining to people how, how the system uh, ought, to be, ought to be viewed at the current time. Yeah, and, and you know, as we were talking about earlier, it's, it's that... that nil tax payment is made up of a lot of attributes and you know tax is really complex anyone that's had any sort of delvings with the tax system knows that you know there's like four volumes of tax legislation you know in just in terms of income tax we've got two different tax acts to begin with and then we have to work out 
how it all works. So, you know, just by putting a number out there, unless you explain the story behind it, you know, it's sort of great storytelling and, you know, telling the narrative around the number um, is, is not really effective communication, if we can call it that. And I think sort of that's where we're, we're coming from for it. But, you know, it's it's a statutory requirement the ATO need to report different information, pieces of information. And it's interesting, I think, from a practitioner's point of view, looking at what gets reported and maybe what doesn't. You know, it's taught the, the numbers that are coming through, like the tip-off line for JobKeeper, because that's quite pertinent, pertinent as well. You know, there's over 3,000... Entities that are get, getting dobbed in for doing illegal job keeper type stuff, but then it'd be interesting to go. Well, you know, how is that? You know, how is that disseminated? What, where does where does that come from? How many of those gets followed up by the ATO and all those sort of things? So it's sort of like for you and I who who understand the system a little bit more than you know the Gen Pop. You know, we're basically going to go well. I've got another question to ask always, I think, when it comes to that transparency data that comes out of the ATO. Absolutely. I mean, I I think it generates more questions Mm. than it answers. And while, you know, it it serves the purpose of those people who construct a headline and who write the narrative about how many companies pay zero, um, it is not always, in my view, again, there'll be different perspectives out there when people you know, reach reach through the ACAST app and come and want to throttle me. <laughs> but it's not particularly healthy to just have something there that's part of, only part of the story. Well, yeah, you've got to, you've got to look at it holistically for the benefit of Australians in general. You know, if we basically take the premise that the purpose of tax is to redistribute wealth and it's what we pay for a civilized society and all the other, you know, um, little little slogans that we talk about with tax. I mean, if we look at it and go, okay. This company that's paid zero tax, you know, has it employed Australians? Has it basically converted the money that they would make in tax profit into employing more Australians? You know, is this industry subsidised by us taxpayers as well? So, you know, is there a greater good associated with that company? Uh, those sort of things. It's that holistic look at the industry and the company as well. You know, can that? Can, is there a high percentage of foreign ownership? Is that what you know? You know, is important. Is it? Is it trying to do sustainable um, research or produce sustainable products? All those things come into play. It's sort of further down the track that you then look at it, going, "Oh, is this? Is this company been artificially adjusting their figures through having a?" you know, Singapore distribution hub or having their intellectual property housed in the Netherlands or the Caymans or whatever. It's then, you know, but, but that, that's that going, comes f- that's to, going further that, than what normally we see with that list of entities, Tom, when, when we have a well, look at that, Yeah, we, we talk about that you're entering into the space of transfer pricing, mm-hmm. uh, trying to work, trying to look at how um, uh, Companies with transnational operations uh, structure their affairs. 
But I think what happens, Tom, with that list is that people are immediately thinking, oh, evasion, 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 where the majority of those companies are just using the tax law as it's set out in those volumes of tax legislation, right? It's it, And I think that that list is trying to evoke some sort of emotional response to go down that transfer pricing tax avoidance path, which is a tax evasion path, which is, it, it's not what those numbers, if you look into those numbers, what they really mean. Well, you can't tell, you, you can't get that from those numbers unless you understand the tax affairs of the entities that are, that are on that list. Yeah. And you can't you can automatically conclude that everyone's a crook. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's sort of I mean, that's a, a, that's that's what it's implying. And it's not, that's not true at all. Yeah, and that is what, yeah. and that is what irritates me because the first, first thing that you get when you watch things on Twitter and you watch people argue about tax payment and you watch all of that unfold is... Oh, um, oh, they must still be crooks because the number zero is next to, the, next to their name. And that isn't the case. And quite frankly, until we get to the debate of, uh, until we get more sophistication in the debate about what zero means, right, where we started, then the whole thing collapses into a heap because people have yelling matches over um, companies that have got lots of money um, who appear to be dodging tax law. And that is nowhere near true. That's exactly right. So if they had have said, okay, out of these, you know, 100 companies that didn't, oh, I don't know what the number is, Tom, you've looked at these better than me, but, you know, of the X number of companies that have not paid any income tax, how many of the, how much is that is because they've got carry forward losses? Um, and how many of those have used up their carry-forward losses? Maybe the question is they've used carry-forward losses from how many years ago? Because as we know, you know there's, there's, there's loss integrity provisions when it comes to companies and things like that. Um, but you know, how many years ago did they make the loss that they're trying to recoup now? Because they've made an investment and they've made a loss. So you know, what's the turnover from, from when they've started to make a taxable income or tax profit or an accounting profit from that. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, and I think it, it we probably ought to mention our favourite topic um, again, which is the, the need for people to better understand the civics mm. in this country, how things work, yeah. um, where things sit. Uh, how the tax system works in general terms, so that when they get the um, the actual transparency report, or they look at it, or they read an article, they're actually better informed, and they can ask questions as to why it is that there's a spin put on it. Well, exactly. Uh, you know, we've talked about things like efficient taxes and inefficient inefficient taxes, and you know what we're really talking about here is just income tax. And that's just one of the many taxes that are imposed on companies, ourselves as individuals and, and the like, right? It's just one form of tax. Absolutely. Um, but that, that really is where we need to be heading. Um, it would also be nice to get rid of the 
distinction between the 1936 and the 1997 Act. Oh. Um, so they're the two different tax acts that we've got listeners. So um, there was a, meant to be a complete rewrite. And as with complete rewrites, they never quite got there. So the 1936 Act was when we all amalgamated all the tax, state tax, income tax acts into one. And then we decided to do a rewrite in 97. And now we've got two. Isn't that lovely? And that's just income tax. And that, were, and that was a result of the ATO doing what they called back then the Tax Law Improvement Project, otherwise known as TLIP. Uh, at the time, I saw drafts of that legislation uh, when I first started dabbling with uh, tax law in the mid-90s as part of uh, the journalistic uh, component of my career way back then. And once the Howard government got in, um, the only act that got into place uh, in terms of the revisions was only a portion of the 1936 Act. Mm -hmm. So tax agents are busy going between two sets of acts. And this is something else we should talk about, about the complexity of the actual legislation at some point, Lisa, not for today, but maybe next time. Um, yeah, don't start me, Tom. It's footy tonight, so I want to watch the footy at, well, at least the first quarter anyway. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> the, the, yeah, you're being very subtle. Yeah, that's no, um, right, sweetie. <laughs> it's okay. Now, uh, just before we wrap up, mm -hmm. uh, is there anything people uh, need to know from you about JobKeeper? Well, what's happened this week with JobKeeper? It's like we're doing a little little cameo at the end of all our podcasts each week, isn't it, Tom, with JobKeeper? Where are we at with it at the yeah, moment? Well, every, every, each each well, week think... something comes up which makes us a little well, scratch the, the our heads, child... doesn't it? Yeah, well, I think it it, it, it looks as if childcare centres yeah. won't have the subsidy anymore and there'll be people going off JobKeeper reasonably soon when they uh, get back to work and things start pumping up a bit. Yeah, well, what, um, what we've got so far, to the, what, what we've found out over the past week is, yeah, childcare workers are, are now out of JobKeeper um, and there's going to be a review in July, in July for it. So, um. That's sort of where we're at. Uh, will it keep going for everyone up until September? Well, we don't know. We know that the legislation will enable the Treasurer to veto it at any time and selectively probably take groups out if they think that that entity is recovering quicker or not. Um, we have been doing our May declarations this week. They need to be done by the 14th, which I think is Sunday. Uh, and on that, we need to put in the turnover for actuals for last month and projected for June. And it says there that it's not a retesting purpose. It's just going to look at how your business is recovering. So even though it's not a retesting of JobKeeper, will that mean that that will stop for certain industry-specific groups? We don't know at the moment, Tom. And that's where, you know, we're just, we're just doing what we're told and we're just going to keep moving on. Um, I'm pleased to say that... Many of the states are getting back into some sort of revenue generation and trying to get back into work, which I think is not just good for their financial health, but also their mental health. I think a lot of my clients are feeling a lot more relieved that they can now go back and, and do meaningful things than the obligatory jigsaw puzzle. But um, 
we just we'll just have to wait and see. Um, each each week is a new chapter of the JobKeeper story, and hopefully we'll be keeping to talk talking about it till September, because I think there'll be a lot of business that will really really benefit from getting some sort of wage subsidy to help with their um, their taxable income, their profits uh, going forward. So they're going to be really hurting still for the for the month of June, and hopefully things will start picking up for the next financial year. Yeah, um, and just for those who've been monitoring the podcast over the past couple of days, uh, there has been an inc- there's been a lot of interest in the one I did yesterday with Annika Smithhurst from News Corporation. And I tried to buy a book, Tom. I went to, d- down to my local bookshop. It's not in stock, and then I tried to get it on Booktopia, and it's out of stock. But they did say copies will be coming soon because I quite enjoyed that podcast, as you know, because I tweeted about it. So I'm um, looking forward to having a read of that when I finally get a copy. Uh, it's uh, it was actually a privilege to have that discussion. But Annika is on Insiders this Sunday, uh, so people who uh, are tuning to the podcast can tune into Insiders. Um, I think I can. I think on this occasion I can say what big David Spears to have a conversation with Annika Smithers. Oh, Tom, 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 settle down, settle down. <laughs> okay, Lisa, it's a good, good, good point <laughs> we should close off. Close off the Spears, discussion. Spears, he won't be happy with my, that. Spears, yeah. No, no, he won't be. He may or may not be. I'm not fussed. He probably hasn't heard one of them, a single of the podcasts yet, even though. Uh, have you, you've you've been giving him yet. a copy though, haven't you? Oh, it's all been going through. <laughs> no, no, no. Look, look, look it, all jokes aside, there's been some really quality um, CLIs, as I'm calling it, critical line item podcast that I've really enjoyed. Uh, the, the, the the Dennis one was great. Annika's was great. The Mundine one was great as well, Tom. So congratulations on those. I've uh, enjoyed it, and I think it's showing the depth and variety of your uh, your journalistic cred in listening to all those. So well done and congratulations. Uh, no, thanks for that, Lisa. Uh, and thank you for all those who've been listening over the past month or so. We'll definitely be continuing on with a range of podcasts. I can promise you one with uh, Gideon Rosner from the Institute of Public Accountants, uh, Institute of Public Affairs, <laughs> next the, week. Not the one you worked for, Tom. <laughs> not the one I worked for. No, 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 no. Institute of Public Affairs. Um, and that, that, that's happening, plus a range of other things coming up. So it's going to be an exciting period. Um, and there are a couple of people I'm negotiating with at the moment. Uh, I, don't have, I don't have dates in, the di- in their diaries yet, but when they do come through, they'll be very, very good. I feel like this okay. has been a bit of a cross-promotion, Tom. You've been, been promoting all, all the uh, podcast platforms that CLI is available in, and then you, we've been cross-promoting every other one of your podcasts, but that's all right. You and I are here to have a bit of a tax chat every week, so I find that this one's more <laughs> of a, a take-to-take than just a straight interview, so... By all means, do so. And I've got uh, a little while before I get to finally get footy back on the TV, so I'm actually enjoying that. That's AFL for those listeners that don't know that we're based in Melbourne. Um, yeah, uh, every time I put the rugby on, I hope there are subtitles because I've never understood it. <laughs> well, I grew up on the border and I still don't under- understand that other other game. How can you call it football when you don't kick it? But anyway, that's another whole story. 
Oh, there we are. Okay, Lisa, thank you very much for joining me this week. Excellent. Thank you very much, Tommy Ravelick, and we will do something again next week, I assume. Most definitely. Cheers. Bye, everyone. Bye.